0: So have you ever felt like you were super on top of things, like you've mastered all of your hobbies, you're at the top of your field at work, or you're like the top of your class in school, and you've just worked really hard and now you can declare yourself like a self-taught expert in whatever you're thinking of right now? You fill in the blank? Yeah? Yeah, all the time. I'm an expert <laughs> at everything, so yes. I just have nothing to do because I'm, I'm just She's an expert at it all. Yeah, so me neither. Um, it seems like no matter how many degrees I have, or how many books I've read on different subjects, or how much time I put into the practice of a new hobby, or how many people tell me that they feel like they could learn a lot from me, thank you for the ego boosts, by the way, um, I still feel like I'm a novice, Um, and maybe that's a good thing. I think that it's a good thing to have humility and to recognize our shortcomings, um, to admit that we don't have all of the answers. Um, A month or two ago, a good friend said to me something like, I know that you call yourself a dabbler, but I want you to know that you're really good at everything you set out to learn, and I thanked her. But deep down, when I say things like, I'm just a dabbler, I think in my heart I'm believing that I'm mediocre in like, everything that I touch, um, that I'm subpar, and uh, that I could never be an expert or a master of anything. Um, I'm not really sure what the origin of the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none is, but sometimes I think to myself, God knew that one day Cassie Edder would be born and um, that this phrase would be a perfect description of her. <laughs> Cassie Peters would be born, yes, and become Cassie Edder. Um so, uh, so I'll give you an example. Last weekend, I stayed with a friend, um, and she had told her roommate that I have a church that meets in my house. And her roommate came in, and she was all excited, and she said that she wanted to hear about my life and get to know me because she's always interested in learning about religions and learning about people who are part of religion. Um, And that should have been super exciting. Like, somebody wants to hear all about you, and I love you guys, and you're really great, and I love hanging out with you on Saturday nights. But instead, her saying that was super intimidating. And I think it was because I was afraid of what ideas she already had in the back of her mind about me, um, had she already prejudged me. And I don't feel like I'm an expert when it comes to church ministry by any means, but this is probably the one place in my life where I feel the most comfortable and in my, my own skin. Um, I feel like I'm operating in my calling and the gifts God's given me. And rather than being excited about my calling in that moment, I still felt mediocre and like I didn't want to tell her about it. Like I was intimidated. Um, Another example from my life is when people try to talk to me about theology or about Bible interpretation, a lot of times I shut down instead of come alive. And um, usually I think that I'm afraid of other people Uh, studying the topic more deeply or that other people would have an expectation that I should know more about something um like didn't you go to school for this stuff that that's going to be the reaction and all of this I think also leaves me a little bit paralyzed when it comes to preparing for Saturday night sometimes I was telling Austin this yesterday or Thursday Thursday evening um yeah, I over prepare and I over analyze and I overthink it. That's just what I do. It's how I am. Um but I also um yeah, and sometimes I leave things till the last minute. That happens too. But I also think that I put pressure on myself to get it even better every time. Like I've got to one up my last message. Um So have you ever, like, underperformed in an area of your life so that you could set the bar really low, (laughs) pretend that you don't know how to do something um, so that in the future there will be zero expectations uh, because no one will know you could do it? (laughs) If I just mask my intelligence or my kindness or whatever it may be, then no one will ever expect me to behave that way. So if I mess up, then I don't have to be intelligent or kind or whatever people think I could be. Um, I can't disappoint anyone if they never expected anything of me. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to have um, what I would call a prophetic word for you every time I come to teaching and by that, I don't mean, like, seeing the future. I mean hearing from Jesus something that's meant for this group of people in this place, in this moment in time. I want to speak um, a message that would be okay if it were my final words. And that's, like, a lot of pressure, right? That's what I'm doing to myself, um, And I think that somehow I imagine that Jesus is expecting me to be an expert at this and that I could just grind it out, I can hustle, I can do the work, I can do all of those buzzwords and blow everyone away. So this introduction seems like a bit of a pity party, right? But I'm not telling you this to reveal like, low self-esteem so that all of you will text me encouragements this next week. <laughs> not necessary. I'm not just trying to have self-deprecating humor, although that can never hurt. Um, but I'm telling you this because I have this strange tension in my life where I believe, I believe that I'm mediocre, but I also still act like Jesus expects me to be a master at every skill in life. And tonight, as you'll see, from the the message title I have there, um, Jesus is the master of all, of everything. And he's the one who blows people away. And even when we think that we're experts, he knows better. So last week, Tyler taught on the first parts of Luke chapter 4, and he focused most of his message, I did go back and listen to it, um, on the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And he talked about Types of temptations we can face too, and practical ways that Jesus overcame those temptations and then he read this story of Jesus teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and the people there um, rejected his message, and they ended up walking him to this edge of a cliff, and they were hoping to kill him to just shove him off the edge of the cliff and This week in our women 's small group. Um, Several of us, including me, were struck by this part of the story in Nazareth. And this is in Luke 4.22. It says, Everyone spoke well of him, Jesus, and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? How is it that... Oh, sorry, that was the end of the verse. Isn't this Joseph's son? So the thing that stuck out to me was that they were amazed. And yet Jesus responds to them with a reprimand, right? He, he tells them no prophet's ever welcomed in his hometown. But I was really confused because I was thinking, weren't the people just amazed? Weren't they speaking well of him? And so since Tuesday, I've gotten a little bit of insight into that. Um, but I'm going to read this next section of Luke first. And just to preface, tonight is going to be less of a three point teaching with action steps and more of um, reading a little bit of the scripture with some commentary and some thoughts to ponder and some pointing out of like historical cultural background. Um, so I hope that even with this method, we still learn and are encouraged. So we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So you may notice, maybe not, um, that there are some parallels between this section and the previous one in Nazareth. So Jesus was once again teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the people are, once again, astonished at his teaching, it says. Um, And uh, they say that his word possessed authority. So in English, the meaning of this looks almost identical. Okay, It looks the same as what we read in Nazareth. But only here the people don't continue by saying, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And that's the key difference that we see on the surface. Um, But there's a little more to it than that that I found this week that I just thought was interesting, and I'll share it with you. Um, Have you ever seen one of those BuzzFeed articles or like a clickbait article that sends you out to a junkie website with the headline of 10 most misused words or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. um, So in the New Living Translation, the word in 422 and the word in 432 are exactly the same. It translates it amazed. The people were amazed. And in the English Standard Version, which we're reading tonight, um, verse 22 says marveled and verse 32 says astonished. So, usually I think that marvel and astonish and amazed, they're all the same word, right? Does anybody know the difference between these words? I've never really thought about that before. Um, But in Greek, they're very clearly different words. They don't have the same root. There's nothing that's similar about them. Their definitions are pretty close, though. Um, But the implication in Nazareth is that the people wondered to themselves about Jesus. So... Um, they wondered or marveled, they were astonished, they were surprised at. So they're kind of like turning this all over in their heads, and I think Jesus could see that, and that's why they immediately go to, isn't this Joseph's son? Um, They were kind of talking amongst themselves. And in verse 32 here, um, the word is amazed, and it means to amaze, overwhelm, astound. To literally strike out of one's senses. So there's something about what Jesus is saying and the people's reaction where they're like immovable. Another definition is to be exceedingly struck in the mind. <laughs> right? So my definition, they're mind blown. Um, And I didn't know that even in English, these two words mean something different. So marvel means to ask oneself wonderingly or with astonished curiosity. And amaze means to put out of one's wits or to stun. So it's sort of like the people in Nazareth were questioning it a lot. And the people in Capernaum were just speechless. They were awestruck by Jesus. So tonight is an example of getting to see my English major geekiness come out um, instead of just my theology and religious studies geekiness. Get on with it. We only covered two verses so far. Okay. We're going to continue in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Are there any clean demons? No. No. (laughs) But they, in the... In the Greek and Roman world, all the spirits were just spirits. So Luke is differentiating and saying this one was evil. Um, And the man cried out with a loud voice. The demon really cried out with a loud voice. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him. Having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So the people were already amazed at Jesus' teaching. Their minds were blown and instead of conferring with one another and wondering at him, how can this be? They're just speechless. And just then, this man with an evil spirit. Comes on the scene and he starts yelling and calling Jesus the Holy One of God and asking whether Jesus is there to destroy him. This is just a summary of what we just read. But instead of indulging the demon's message, right? Instead of saying, yeah, I am the Holy One of God. Jesus is like, I will have none of this. And he makes the demon silent. It says he like muzzles the demon. That's kind of the meaning of that word. And the man is, like, thrown into the middle of the room. And then the demon comes out of him, and the man is completely unharmed. It's kind of an interesting story, right? I'm really happy that I get the first exorcism in the Gospel of Luke to teach. Um, uh, But now the people are no longer speechless. Instead, they're, and instead of wondering about Jesus' identity, they just say that he speaks with authority. Um, And I think that it's interesting that last week, authority is something the devil offered to Jesus, but here we see he already has it. And so then the rumor mill about Jesus is running like wildfire, and in Capernaum, the people... Um, are just struck by Jesus' authority and their response rather than to shove Jesus off a cliff is to just spread the news of who he is that this man is here and this is what he's doing. Let's continue in verse 38 And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So just a couple of observations here. Um, I think we should take note that Simon was married. And this is Simon Peter. He's going to be called Peter later on. This is one of Jesus' first disciples. And this is Peter's, Simon's, mother-in-law that Jesus heals. And also this reference to the woman's high fever is an example, like we talked about in the introduction to the gospel, it's an example of Luke's medical language um, and expertise as a physician. Um, It's really interesting to me, though, the way that um, the fever behaves and the way Jesus responds. So there's some similarity to the story um, between this story and the demon-possessed man, at least that I saw. So I don't think that Simon's, I want to be clear, I don't think Simon's mother-in-law was demon-possessed and that that was causing her fever. I just want to make that really (laughs) clear. In fact, Luke's language is the clearest of all the gospel writers that demon possession is very different from natural illnesses. He separates them completely in in the way he writes about it. At least that's what I've heard. I haven't read the Gospel of Luke in Greek, but scholars say that he's very clear that demon possession is different from fevers and blindness and leprosy. But nonetheless, um, Luke writes that Simon's mother-in-law was gripped or was held captive by this high fever. And again, Jesus rebukes it. So both the demon-possessed man and Simon's mother-in-law were held captive. Um, And so I think it's really cool that we're seeing Jesus' words from last week's message and from Isaiah 61, that the captives would be released. We're seeing that fulfilled here. And then I also just love the inclusion of how this woman just immediately was healed. I mean, fevers usually are a sign of infection, and that can be really exhausting. But she's like instantaneously energized, and she's able to serve them. Serve them what? Uh, probably food. Food and drinks, I don't know. Um, and I don't think we're supposed to take that as like a woman's place is in the kitchen kind of thing. <laughs> um, I think that anytime somebody's healed, somebody hears a word from God or is like genuinely touched by Jesus, they respond by desiring to serve him. Mm -hmm. And I think that Simon's mother-in-law just used what she knew best to honor Jesus and to express her gratitude. Mm -hmm. Verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them into him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because he knew that he was the Christ. Because they knew he was the Christ. Jesus obviously didn't know he was the Christ, too. <laughs> so if you ever had a super long day, no, none of us have long days. None of us are, like, on call at a hospital and there for 26 hours or anything. <laughs> um I think that this is probably a definition of a a long day. So if you're following the story, Jesus taught in the synagogue that morning. He showed his mastery over God's word. He cast out a demon, showing mastery over evil spirits. He healed a woman of a fever, showing this mastery over sickness and physical disease. And it's all in one day. And now the sun is setting And instead of getting some rest, people just keep bringing more and more sick people to him. So why does Luke include that the sun is setting? I want us to remember that it's the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, it would have been unlawful to travel very far or to carry any burdens, literally carry your sick people. You're not supposed to carry anything or walk very far. So the sun setting and these law-abiding Jews... Mostly law-abiding, I guess. They're leaving a little bit early because it's not quite sunset. They can now bring Jesus. They're sick and diseased. Um, And Jesus had a human body. He must have been incredibly tired, right? But I think it's amazing that he continues to just selflessly serve these people. uh, To heal them and to release them from the control of disease and of demons. And then speaking of demons, have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't want them to tell anybody who he is? He does, he's always telling them to be quiet and don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. Um, well, one commentator, commenter, commentator? commentator, one of them says that um, Jesus wanted to show the people by his words and deeds what kind of Messiah he was in contrast to their popular notions. So he wanted to show them that their expectations were wrong before revealing himself as the Messiah. I'm not the kind of Messiah that you think I'm going to be, and this is who I am. Um, So Jesus, he spent his whole Sabbath teaching and healing people which some people, they're going to argue about it a lot later on in this gospel, would say that it was unlawful, that he broke the Sabbath, um, that he was disobeying God by healing. Um, And I think maybe even Peter's mother-in-law was was breaking the Sabbath by cooking for them, serving them. Um, And then this is what happens next. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So I think this is an instance of Jesus resting after the longest day ever. He departed to a desolate place. And the gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus did this in order to pray. But to me, there's no indication that Jesus had slept the night before. He was healing people all night. And I'm wondering if he got away to just sleep, or um, did he just wait until everyone else fell asleep so that he could steal a few minutes away with his father? Because Jesus knew what true rest looked like. And sometimes that's sleep. I'm not sure if that's what he did here. Um... But he had to get away from the crowds. And again, the people of Capernaum, rather than shoving Jesus off a cliff, the next morning they're searching for him everywhere. And when they find him, they're begging him to stay. Who wouldn't want this healer and this teacher to stay? But Jesus reminds them that he has other work to do. And um, maybe he even knows that because he spent time with the Father alone, away from the crowds. Maybe he would have, I mean, not that it would have been sin for him to stay or something, but maybe he was reminded of what he needed to do next because he took that time with, with God. So, last section for the evening. He's been preaching in the, in the synagogues of Judea. I don't know how much time is passing between that part and this. We'll start chapter 5 right now. We're going to read 11 verses, and then we'll wrap up for the night. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or Galilee. Galilee is easier to say than Gennesaret. (laughs) Come on, Luke, use the easier name. Verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the Catch a fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is the story of the calling of the first disciples. Um... So this previous crowd probably, the same crowd from Capernaum, um, Galilee and Capernaum are near each other, the lake of Galilee. um, They were desperate for a touch from God as they brought their sick to Jesus in the middle of the night, right? And now I think the crowd is desperate to hear a word from God because the crowd is literally crowding Jesus so much that he's, Like, hey, there's a boat, and I can get a a little bit of distance from these people and teach them from the boat. Another fun fact is um, that the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret has these interesting hills. Um, Actually, this picture right here that you'll see again later, kind of large, this is the Sea of Galilee. So these hills behind it, they kind of create an amphitheater, so... You'd be surprised. I would think sitting in a lake, I wouldn't be able to project my voice loud enough for people to hear, but the mountains around the lake helped Jesus speak louder to the crowd. Um, So he shares with the people from the boat. Um, I think it's also interesting that Jesus saw the value of sharing the good news in the synagogue. He also saw the value of sharing the good news Outside of the synagogue. Just out in nature. Um, And now these... Now these guys get to experience this amazing miracle. Um, And Simon and his business partners, before Jesus commandeered the boat, they were cleaning their nets. Which means that they had just finished their work day, or their work night. They were done with fishing. And... They were fishermen, so they should have known best. This is bringing us full circle. Like, They should have known best. They were the experts. They were the masters of fishing. Um, They knew what the best conditions for fishing were. And they knew that it's better to fish at night in the shallow part of the lake than it is to fish during the brightness of the day in the deep waters. And Jesus tells them to go out into the deep water and let down their net. And they'd already fished all night and they yielded nothing. But when Jesus told Simon to let down his nets, he said, at your word. And Simon had already listened to Jesus' teaching. He'd already seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law and dozens, hundreds maybe, of other people who got brought to, I think, Simon's house all night in the previous section. Um... And Jesus had already shown himself to be this this master or this expert over so many areas of life. But was Jesus also the master over the profession of fishing? Like being a fisherman? He is. Who knew? Um, I think that that's why Simon responds with a depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Because even what Simon knew absolutely best in this life. He knew it. That's the thing he knew best. Jesus still knew better. Um, and Jesus, he beautifully provides this amazing catch that's so amazing probably that the, well, yes, so amazing that the boats almost sink. Um, but also probably, we don't know for sure, um, he he's providing for Simon and James and John. You know, we, we already heard Simon is married, so maybe there was somebody who was there to clean the fish and to sell them and provide for their families because they get up and leave everything um, to follow Jesus. Okay, so I'm a minister, which... You know, when you look at Jesus, you kind of think, okay, well, that might be his profession too, right? If he had one. So it's kind of easy for me to wholeheartedly believe, yeah, Jesus knows better than I do at my calling or, you know, when it comes to ministry, he knows better than I do. But I don't always believe that Jesus knows better than I do in other areas of life. Do I believe that sometimes even if it doesn't make any sense at all, uh, because I fished all night and I worked so hard without any results that Jesus might still be saying, let down the nets. Do I believe that he's the master of all, that he exceeds my understanding, and that he doesn't expect me to be an expert, um, at least not without his expert help leading and guiding me in every area of life? Do I believe that even when I think I know best, Jesus knows better? Sometimes I think that I believe Jesus knows a lot about certain areas, but there's other areas where I've, I've got a little more training than you, Jesus. I feel like I, I know what I'm doing here. Um, but sometimes we don't even let ourselves listen for his voice to tell him, to hear whether he's telling us to do something different than we do as auto on autopilot. Like, well, I know that fishing at night in the shallow is better. Um, sometimes when we try to work it all out with our own way, we have zero results like Peter did. Um, but if we would stop and listen to Jesus' voice, he might be telling us to do something that, in our own brains, doesn't seem quite right, but he knows and um, he provides. So I just want us to pray tonight and then we're going to spend some time in small groups discussing. Um, Jesus, I just thank you so much that you are the master of all and That you're not a jack of all trades, master of none. That you truly do know better. But I also thank you that even though you know better, you knew better than Simon. um, You didn't embarrass him. You didn't tell him, "Ah, you're so wrong." You provided for him. And even in the ways that you're so much greater than we could imagine, even in being the master of of everything you never stop serving us. You compassionately heal people in the middle of the night and um, you continue to care for us. I pray that you would help us to respond to your voice and to listen to you and to hear, to hear you when you, you may be saying to us, let down your nets. We pray that we would have hearts that are open to you and that we would respond with um, at your word i'll do that god thank you for who you are in jesus name we pray amen so in small groups see that behind the discussion questions is the sea of galilee um, in small groups we're going to discuss just one question In what areas do you find it difficult to trust that Jesus is the master? Or where are you trying to control or play the expert in your life? And then how can we pray for each other this week and then pray?